Hello and welcome to Red Shirts. I'm your host, Jake Donaldson, and I'm joined as ever by my co-hosts, Maddie, Harry Mudd, Churchhouse, and Nathan, Harold Shipman, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still keeping up the serial killer thing. Without further ado, let's engage. Found a, you found a rich vein to mine, then. I mean, you'd think it's a rich vein. It took me about an hour to find one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that, that's good. Like Go- Googling on my work computer, list of famous serial killers to try and, and then cross-referencing it with a different tab that I've got open that just says list of Star Trek actors or Star Trek characters. <laughs> Trying yeah, to find have, any uh, that are similar. Uh, we have the same, like, we have the same day job and uh, a thing we were waiting for uh, didn't happen today, as you will know, is very common in our line of work, Jake. So, yeah. so my my day was uh, was was entirely like a googling random shit like that. <laughs> I was working from home, but I always work at the same desk as my desktop, so that I could do scuba googling not on. Well, this is the thing I, sh- I could have computer. used. I could have used my phone or my personal laptop, but instead, I just was too lazy and went. Yeah, I'll use the one where they have access to all of my search history to look at a list of serial killers. Yeah, yeah um, why not? Just say it's for research. Search. I mean, exactly. oh, that makes it sound worse. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> It'd be worse if you did it with your work computer, Maddie. Oh yeah, but like to be fair, in my line of work, you are regularly googling. Anyway, tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we're looking at the infamous slash famous episode of Star Trek. The original series, uh, the trouble with tribbles. It's it's amazing and wonderful, it's and amazing and terrible all at once. Um, <clears throat> you, listeners, you'll have to. Apolo- I apologise in advance. You'll have to bear with me if my throat gets a bit sore uh, and I go a bit hoarse. I've just been on a bike ride for the first time in fifteen years, and my lungs are on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've just been inhaling the colony's entire grain supply. That's what you've actually been doing. To get <laughs> I know I, it's it's ridiculous that I love this episode so much when the entire plot is please don't let the Klingons steal our grain. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the ancient Roman Empire would deeply approve of the plot of this episode. It's right down the street of every Roman proconsul. <laughs> Protect the grain. Protect the grain like- supply. I feel like we're going to have a lot to say about this, so let's, as quick as we can, get through the... Uh, n- not get through. Uh, <laughs> as quick as we can, enjoy the wonderful stylings of Nathan Thomas describing the plot in his patented way. The episode opens with Spock, Chekhov and Kirk discussing the issue of uh, Space Station K7 and Sherman's Planet, a disputed area between Klingons and the Federation, Um and there is a race who uh, the uh, race to claim this um, quadrant is based on who can develop the planet most efficiently. Spock and Kirk rib check off about his Russian centric view of history before Uhura informs them that there is a red alert and they all run to answer. Uh, given the nature of the coding question, Kirk assumes the Klingons have attacked, but when he gets there, all seems peaceful. 
Mr. Murray, the keeper of the station, wants to beam over. Kirk is annoyed about the waste of time. Uh, when Kirk gets over, uh, Mr. Barris, uh, the development officer in the area, is paranoid, so he called the distress. He wants to protect his super wheat. Um, Spock and Kirk want uh, Mr. Barris arrested for wasting their time. He is annoyed when the only concession they will actually give to him is two security guards. Kirk tells him that he is the first S Federation administrator he has ever questioned the intelligence of. Soon, Uhura and Chekhov appear in the bar. Apparently, Uhura wants to shop. Once uh, Spock and Kirk have left, they see a travelling salesman offering all kinds of bullshit. He has a Tribble, a soothing sweet creature, which is a fluffball. Uh, there is a lot of bartering, and eventually Uhura ends up with said Tribble. Back on the Enterprise, uh, an admiral calls Kirk and Spock. Turns out that the administrator dobbed him into an admiral. Uh, Kirk is irritated as per usual. Fortunately, a Klingon battlecruiser is coming in, so that gives Kirk something to do. The administrator doesn't think the Klingons are attacking, uh, because the Klingon captain is in the station commander's office. Uh, the Klingons want to shore leave, and the peace treaty makes it very clear uh, that the Federation may not want them here, but they can't refuse. Well, Kirk will have security beefed up, but the Klingons will have to go down. On board the Enterprise, Scotty is reacting with a technical journal, and uh, in the mess, the Tribbles are multiplying all across the table. Fortunately, Spock is immune to the tranquilizing effect of the Tribbles. McCoy decides uh, to take a Tribble to the lab to see what makes it tick. Chekhov tells Kirk and uh, that Barris wants to talk. He is, as, us as usual, irate. Kirk has guards around the gate, grain, guards around the Klingons... He's going to sickbay to cure his headache. Uh, McCoy has his, had his tribbles multiply many times. McCoy hasn't figured out why, but they are geared to reproduce massively. Kirk tells the shore-leaving engineers uh, to stay out of trouble, and he insists that uh, Mr. Scott get some actual rest. Go with them and make sure no trouble starts. Scotty, Chekhov's and the others wander into the bar and begin to have fun. The salesman from before appears and tries to sell a tribble to the Starfleet officer. The Tribbles react angrily at the Klingons when the salesman moves on to them, so he tries to sell them to the barman, who proceeds to bring out many, many more of the things. Scotty and Chekhov have an argument on scotch versus vodka. The Klingon tries to take the piss out of humans. He tries to mock Kirk. Scotty manages to calm down Chekhov. Uh, the Klingon starts on the Enterprise, calling it a garbage scow. Scotty asks him <laughs> to rephrase that. He says that instead of hauling garbage, it should be hauled away as garbage. <laughs> the Klingon swiftly learns you do not insult Scotty's ship. A bar fight breaks out, which is as good as TOS fighting usually is. Yeah. The salesman uh, proceeds to take advantage of the free bar. Um, <laughs> the fight scene is very extended and very funny, but there's not really much I can summarize. So I'm just putting this point in to tell all of the listeners, enjoy the fight scene. Um, anyway, back on the Enterprise, Kirk dresses down the lineup of men and cancels the shore leave. All of the men claim they don't know who started it, so Kirk confines all of them to quarters. Kirk uh, asks Mr. Scott, who threw the first punch, um, it was me, Captain. Kirk interviews Scotty about when exactly he punched the Klingons. He's somewhat irate to know that he defended the Enterprise, but, uh, didn't raise his hand when they were insulting his, the captain. Scotty is rather too happy about being confined to his quarters. In the lab, Spock and McCoy have uh, now have a table 
and a few bowls full of tribbles. Some classic McCoy and Scott banter occurs with them each uh, comparing each other to tribbles, and uh, the tribbles come out better. On the bridge, there are tribbles across every surface. Kirk even sits on one. Uh, Kirk gets a little irritated with irritated with the fact that his crew seem unable to remove them from said bridge. Uh, McCoy seems to think these creatures are born pregnant, and the tribbles are confusing all fo- consuming all food supplies. Kirk wants Cyrano Jones, the merchant who sold all of them, this held. Spock points out that Cyrano Jones has removed the tribbles from their natural habitat. There are no restraining factors. The administrator comes in, very angry, and Kirk continues to uh, take him lightly. Uh, the administrator thinks Cyrano Jones is a Klingon spy. Kirk points out, however, uh, that however annoying Mr. Jones is, he doesn't make him a spy. Back on the Enterprise mess, the tribbles are everywhere, even inside the food. Scotty has uh, found them inside the machinery, too. Wait, hang on. If the tribbles can get inside the grain storage, get, get inside the machinery, they can get into the grain storage on the station. Uh, with this revelation, Kirk and Spock head to said station. Kirk, the administrator and the station master, head to the storage container, which seems to be stuck. Before long, a stream of tribbles is falling on Kirk. After a cutaway, he emerges from the pile. Uh, Spock suggests there are 1.7 million of the things. Uh, Mr. Barris is very irate about all of this. Uh, McCoy and Spock work out that some things uh, in the special grain is killing the tribbles. Mr. Barris continues to whine. Back in the uh, station office, Cyrano Jones is taken for questioning. The Klingon captain comes in to tell off Kirk for being discourteous. Kirk wants to know what happens before he takes any official actions. As the Klingons are leaving, Aunt Darwin, the assistant to our Mr. Barris, walks in and the Tribbles react like they did to the Klingons earlier. Kirk confirms this by testing everyone in the room. McCoy scans Darwin and discovers he is a Klingon. Mm. Altered to look human. McCoy also confirms that the grain was poisoned. Darwin poisoned the grain, but the Tribbles had nothing to do with it. Kirk makes it very clear. Captain Koloff has six hours to piss off. Um, Kirk brings Cyrano Jones to the bar, which is full of tribbles. Cyrano Jones points out these tribbles help solve a lot of things. We don't need to be dealing with uh, anything, so Spock and Kirk offer him a deal. 17.9 years of cleaning his mess, as opposed to a 20-year sentence. On the bridge, it turns out Scotty has rid the ship of tribbles on Spock's recommendations. Scotty has transported the tribbles onto the Klingon ship, where there will be no tribble at all. Yay! It's such a good episode. I like. I have a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings about this. Same. And I can like yeah. once you watch it, you're like, oh yeah, no, this is like if you're gonna pick an episode to because the reason why watching this is obviously DS Nine is going to visit it. Yeah. Um, and and I you can I think you can easily see why they are. Um they are choosing this one to go back to. It's a good classic episode with the right feel for a revisit. Like, um... It's cute. But it's also not... Yeah. Because I think if they picked a, like, serious... One of the more serious, like, very good episodes to do, it'd be hard to do the crossover and not take something from the episode. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this has got... Like, the plot is actually fairly well written like mm. I, I think it's i think it went through quite a lot of rewrites but um well yeah it the, <coughs> the first script really overran was what i could find like they were saying yeah the script overran a lot um and they had these scenes like where the enterprise has to chase down cyrano jones's starship and bring him back and stuff 
And right. they were like, oh, well, we have to... Having to cut all of that out really made them realise how to focus this plot very tightly. Um, which okay. which I think is a definite advantage to it. Like, it is very... It is one of the better focused Star Trek episodes and certainly TOS episodes. I think... I think you don't generally get very tightly well-written Star Trek until the modern era. Like, even mm. middle-aged Trek as we've christened it is... Yeah, is it, all over the place at times. It's interesting hearing that it was originally too long, because I was I got the impression watching it that it must have been a couple of minutes too short when it gets to the fight scene in the bar and it goes on for far too long. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Why no, is that still a on the choice. screen? <laughs> like, that's a deliberate choice. But I love the whole like the extended. I, I really love the extended like sped up. Triple putting her down that's immediately before that, where the bomb is like, eh? yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he's he could have just scooped out... them all up and put them on the bar, but what he's doing is doing yeah. it one at a time, one at a time, like a sort of an old routine by like Tommy Cooper or something. He's just pulling yeah. out one triple at a time to put them on the on the thing to be like, how many fucking triples have I got, mate? <laughs> yeah. Got triples coming out of my ass. Speaking of triples, oh my God, I'm, I'm currently petting Maddie's one. Got a triple. I'm currently petting. I used to have a triple. The triple is coming I, to I, say hello. The oh my God, it's since... so cute. Yeah, for the benefit of listeners, so... I'll take some photos, put them on the Instagram stories. Yeah, please, I used so... to have a triple like that. Like it, mine, mine was I think green. Oh. Um, I went to MTM Comic Con um, in in my sixth form. Yes, and um, one of my friends who'd arrived slightly earlier, like, led me over and it's like, okay, there's going to be a table full of tribbles. You're going to say you don't want one, then I'm going to do a thing, and then you're going to want one. And I was like, <laughs> okay, sure. So she uh, she led me over, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm not particularly bothered. And then she just went, and all of them vibrated and made the trilling sound, and I was like, I do now want one. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. I've never owned a triple. I and uh, uh, fucking loser. Well, you're going yeah, to. <laughs> you're going to after we go to Destination Star Trek 2021 because the lady who runs one. the triple stall, I'm sure she'll be there. And there are literally, it's lit. It is literally like she is Jim Kirk, and the the storage yeah. compartment has opened <laughs> to dump thousands of tribbles upon her head, and she's just dishing them out to people for about ten quid because they're like massively overpriced as as they also are in this episode um yeah and you go up to them and they're all purring and vibrating and some of them are glittery and some of them are rainbow and it's very very exciting oh, do you think anyone's ever used one of the vibrating ones as a sex aid? Oh. <laughs> i knew we were gonna go there but like it's it's a triple <laughs> it's a triple it's a harmless fluffy like maddie's like i knew we were gonna go there subject. but not this early <laughs> And There's a brilliant, um, <laughs> again, I will sing the praises of Star Trek Online, because that's got a brilliant slash very irritating mechanic where if you put a Tribble in your inventory or bank space or anything and also have any food items in it, it will eat the food and then you'll get another Tribble which will <laughs> eat some more food. Like, they do multiply all over. Right. There's an entire, like, mini-game of breeding Tribbles to get the best Tribbles. <laughs> the, um, I, now, I know we, we never talk about the... Um, the the other, uh, the franchise, other franchise, but the, the there is a link here. The other franchise has a a video game out. Uh, I, I think it's called. It's I think it's one of the Knights of the Old Republic ones, possibly, um, or something games. like that. But in in one of those games, they have a um, 
a, a side quest where a, a different type of animal, not called a triple, uh, but oh, takes over a, a spaceship and you've got to try and get rid of them all and they're multiplying and you've got to try and... The, the side quest is to get rid of them all. And the name of the side quest is... Uh, th- the trouble with whatever the name of this uh, other thing that they've made up is, which is obviously like a, a reference to this. Yeah. So, so there I is mean, a, those a games are very good, so... Yes. Um, I just like... thought that it, it was a fun little reference to another video game. This episode is magnificent. I want to say that the vibes are absolutely impeccable, because everyone is, <laughs> yeah. everyone, like... is impor- everyone is performing at the highest context, highest energy level vibration version yeah. of themselves, right? Like, Jim is disdainful towards bureaucratic makes, authority and entirely unrepentant about it. It makes Lower Decks feel like even more in the Star Trek yes. universe to me because it's like, yes. oh, this is a legitimate... like Straight comedy episode. Like, pure yeah. middle, down the middle of the road, bad puns, straight comedy episodes <laughs> in which, you know... I mean, really bad puns Yeah, really well. bad puns. Spock <laughs> sassing everyone left, right and centre. Chekhov <laughs> appearing in the middle of scenes where he's got no business being there just to say that whatever <laughs> object they're talking about was invented in Russia. And then, like, Scotty getting ragingly drunk. And then when a Klingon tells him that the Enterprise should be hauled away as garbage, starting an enormous brawl that goes on for about <laughs> five minutes. It's just wonderful. It's just absolutely Everything wonderful. Everything, Kirk. I, I just want to, like... Like pure level sass need to remember all of Kirk's lines to that administrator because they're so good. It's so fantastic. Like, I'm not I'm not taking uh, the situation lightly. I am taking you lightly. Yes. It's a line that like I <laughs> yeah. need in my back pocket. Yeah. For and again, like lots of occasions. We need to give Bill Shatner some credit here, because he actually does, again, some solid comic acting where yeah. where the administrator is like Captain Kirk, how dare you authorise a mere two men for a project of this importance? And then he goes, I've never questioned the orders or the intelligence of any representative of the Federation until now. <laughs> and then leaves. <laughs> and then leaves. So, like, so good, yeah. Oh, and Spock yeah. is just so wonderful when they're like, oh, well, I'm sure that you haven't heard of this quadrilateral centrotenial corn grain blah, 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 GMO thing. And then Spock just starts reeling off its entire history yeah. and provenance. It's <laughs> so good. Oh, my goodness. And even Chekhov is like, it's a Russian invention. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Even when Chekhov... Oh, God, it's so wonderful. Everything that Chekhov does in this episode is brilliant. Even right at the beginning, where uh, he, Spock, and Kirk are all talking, scene. it's so wonderful. Um, <laughs> when Chekhov's like, "One parsec, sir, close enough to smell them," Spock's like, "That is a logical ensign. Smells cannot travel travel through the vacuum of space." I was making a little joke, sir. Extremely little ensign. <laughs> it was great. Oh, I love that so line. Good. Also, I would like to ask Nathan, who is the clever one, um, if, uh, and although Maddie, you know about space and stuff, so you might know this. I don't think that that is true, what Spock says about smells. <laughs> as far as I understand it, as far as I understand it, there should be no reason why smells can't travel through space because they're just particles of things, right? So, like, surely they yeah. can travel through space in the same way that anything else would. I know, like, like mm. you know, sound sound can't travel through vacuums. Because it's vibrating. Yeah, but surely well, smells should Google be fine. I think the issue travel. would be more to do with the fact that if you're in a vacuum, you're not, you can't breathe in air because there's no air in the vacuum, so you're not going to breathe in the particles. You'd have to have, like, a, a, a mechanism for it to get into your body. That's me just extrapolating. Yeah. Well, according to the Australian Command- Academy of Science... Yeah, it's Australia, to- though. They're not real, real <laughs> scientists. 
<laughs> find find a NASA one. <laughs> I can find BBC Science Focus. <laughs> no, what do, what do the Australian NASA say? Well, okay, so the BBC say that zero gravity could even help smell travel. <gasps> um, and um, according to Australian NASA, um, all all the uh, as astronauts. Obviously, they can't really smell it, but they smell it indirectly because they go on spacewalks and smell oh, stuff right. that's oh. being like because they can't because they have a thing. Oh is my god! That, yeah, I, I, I was just they... wrong. Spock got the science wrong. Clap yeah, up. get wrecked, Spock. <laughs> go back yeah. to school, Spock. But guys, guys. All of this controversy about gay characters in Star Trek, I mean, I really don't think we need need it. I mean, it's, we've already had bisexual yes! tribbles. So. Yeah. <laughs> I love bisexual that. Bisexual that, representation. What... <laughs> yeah, because they obviously don't... Like, the context of it is obviously that they don't they don't mean bisexual. They mean, like... Bisexual uh, reproduction, like, as opposed to, like, asexual reproduction or whatever. They're just saying all, yeah. any tribble can reproduce male to female, all the tribbles can just have babies just all the time, constantly. I don't even know what they actually mean, like, what word... I don't. I mean, I don't I, know I, if that's I, the right science I think, term. I think what they're trying to say is that the... that they... They're, that they can... They're, because he says they're born pregnant, so I yes. think he's just saying that they can... That I can't, I've forgotten the word for it now, but where they can... Uh, Reproduce on their own. Yeah, a- is it, it's, called, it's called asexual reproduction, yeah, isn't it? That, that? Oh right, yeah. Her, I was thinking of the word hermaphroditic. Yeah, um, but I think that's what he was trying to say. But he, but what he says is they're bisexual, which is just like yeah, they they fancy both male and female tribbles, which is my <laughs> yes, favorite. Tribbles. Queer it, representation. Berman get fucked. The tribbles were way <laughs> ahead of your homophobic bullshit. Oh, um, I would just like to uh, make a suggestion as well here on in if we ever have to refer to Australian NASA again. Um, I would like <laughs> so to. Uh, I'd, 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 so I, we've got American NASA, which is just NASA. <laughs> we've, we've we've got British NASA, which is NASA, um, and then we've got Australian NASA, which is NASA <laughs> with a question mark at the end of it because of. Because of that weird way that Australians go up at the end of sentences, <laughs> the Australian question in quotient or whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so what we've established Excuse is that Spock me, got is some this science. Our space agency. I'm not really sure where I am. Am I Excuse inside me. a rocket? Am I in space right now? <laughs> I'm going to take this what, crocodile what? with me into this Falcon Nine, and then I'm going to strap myself to the booster, and I'm going to. Fly <laughs> right up into the into you know, lower you, you know, like, like Australia launches a lot of satellites and space related. Yeah, stuff. but most of them are just sending shrimp to the, the sun <laughs> to see if it comes back cooked better than it does on the barbecues they've got. Like, that's, they're just trying to build that the the entire Australia NASA just space a big barbecue. I think that's the the reason they invented a rocket engine in the first place Alex, was they were just trying to. If perfect. you ever do listen to your girlfriend's podcast, <laughs> I am sorry. I I think that if they were trying to build like uh, they were trying to revolutionise the the barbecue process, and in the in the process of doing that, they accidentally invented rocket engines and went, "Oh right, well we might as well use them now. We've got them," and then they've gone up to space oh, mate, to see if they can still another, smell. Do you want to put another skippy on the barbie? <laughs> what oh? Just like Fed income, mate. I'll just strap him to this rocket. 
<gasps> oh my god, Skippy the space kangaroo. Yes. yes. <laughs> that would be great. I want to make that series now. <laughs> What's that, Skippy? Oh, oh, What's oh, that, Skippy? Oh. Someone's trapped in the sea of tranquility. <laughs> Desmond, the moon kangaroo. How did I get here? <laughs> Excuse me, oh my I'm not really sure how bush kangaroo is. meeting the clangers. Oh. <laughs> yes. oh, the clangers! Can you imagine? Bounce, so, bounce, bounce! So cute. Um, <laughs> and then Skippy, just... Skippy drop kicks them in the chest, and the clangers go flying <laughs> off the surface of the moon. Just to take this tangent back to Star Trek, but still a tangent. Yeah. I was listening to another podcast the other day, and it was like a Q&A episode. Um, they were just asking random questions. And one of the questions, which I thought was brilliant for you guys, is, um, okay, pick one actor from one Star Trek series. That actor retains their role. Every single other person becomes a Muppet, or like Muppet-like puppet. Yes. What what actor in the series do you pick? Oh, well, I've thought about like, this Because they before. have some great answers. Yeah, I've thought about this many times, because you may or may not know, I'm a huge Muppets fan. So yeah. um, I, I, I've i thought about this. I mean, the obvious answer would be you keep Picard and you make everybody <laughs> else a Muppet. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because, that, because I think he'd be fucking brilliant at it, right? Like, I think... It would be like when uh, when Michael Caine played Scrooge, and you were like, "How's this going to work?" And he just leant right into it. Right, yeah. it was so good. Well, one of their answers that was really good was Miles O'Brien on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> but specifically, it's all humans when they do that whole scene where he transfers and Picard beams him, but then he beams into DS Nine, and everything is felt. <laughs> <laughs> my my other suggestion would yes, be yes, Garrett ev- could be Gonzo. Uh, <laughs> that's great. That's very Fozzy good casting. Bear. Although Garak looks a little bit like um, uh, Sam the Eagle, I think so. Oh, like yeah, that would okay. be quite a good yeah. look. Um, I, I think an, uh, an alternative casting could be um, it, it's TNG, right? Everyone's a Muppet apart from Data. <laughs> And then Data spends the... None of the plots changed or anything. Data spends the entire series trying to become more human, but none of the other (laughs) characters around him are human at all. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine Miss Piggy as, like, Uhura with, like, massive, enormous, beautiful earrings being like, Captain, I've opened a hailing frequency. (laughs) Well, they did Muppets in space, which is... What could Kermit... (laughs) Who the fuck would Kermit be? Kermit could be... Kermit would be... Q... Appearing with his black hood on. Like that meme where Kermit's looking at evil Kermit in a mirror. (laughs) Q appears like, hello. (laughs) I would like to see that. (laughs) Yeah, Picard's lying down to sleep. He's just gone to sleep and it's all calm and peaceful. And then Kermit's head just like slowly appears over the top of him. And it's like, wakey, wakey. (laughs) No, I've got a different answer. I would like to see um, the... The I would like to see Wrath of Khan remade, but everyone's a Muppet apart from Khan, and you've got and, and so you've got evil Khan and like being nasty and evil to the Muppets, and you've got to see like the evil space worm thing climbing into like the oh, ear of yeah. Gonzo or like Rizzo the Rat or something. But it has to be a musical. It has to be a musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrath Obviously, of, yeah, yeah. Wrath of Khan, the Muppet musical. 
oh my goodness, we need to like create some of the songs that would appear on that. It'd be wonderful. That would be great. Well, it, like the Partition's Flame song, that has to be like a big operatic refrain to it. I will chase you through Partition's Flame. And then all the rest of the crew are like, through Partition's Flame. Like which, yeah, which and there'd also be like to... from Hell's Heart I Stab at Thee, and all the little mice would be like from Hell's Heart I Stab at Thee, I Stab at Thee. Who would yeah, who would we have playing Kirk? Because I want to Kermit. know who I can picture. Is Kermit going to be I doing Kirk? Because then we get because then we get Kermit to to say the immortal line where he get where we just get. Can you imagine Kermit doing Kermit the? Kermit. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh. I wish I could do a Kermit impression. I'm really bad at it. I can't do a Kermit impression. impression. I can do. I can do Miss Piggy. It's one of the only impression that I can do is Miss Piggy. Right? Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Yeah. Go on then. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was That's short it. but sweet and very accurate. Wait. Hmm. Me and Buddy really need to lower our expectations. <laughs> Look, speaking of puppets, let's talk tribbles. about tribbles. Let's talk about how every tribble in this episode is literally like a ball of cotton fluff, and they're just at some point someone in the props department has had the imponderable joy of collecting all of these woolly balls, making these like shittily formed pom poms that don't actually seem to have any <laughs> substance to them whatsoever, and then just. Putting them fucking everywhere. They've been like, like at the end when they go into the bridge and the tribbles have fully taken over. There are tribbles stuck to the walls. There are tribbles like filling the seat of Kirk's captain chair. There are tribbles like glued to the console so no one can do any work. It's oh, it's like it's like if you come back from the toilet and there's like toilet paper on your shoe. There are like tribbles like hanging off people. It's just it's well. so fantastic. Well, I have a, a fun fact about the production of this episode. About um, firstly, where the tri- where the design for the tribbles came Ooh, from, yeah. and secondly, what they were made of. So, the first thing is that the the tribbles, the idea for the design of them, came from a um, a furry keyring that someone on the production oh. team had, um, and that person's surname was Sherman, which is why the planet in this episode is called Sherman's Planet. Nice. Um, oh, that's cute. But then I have some fun facts about the the tribbles that they made because obviously there are hundreds of them in the episode, and um, they made six of them that had like little sort of uh, mechanics in them so that they could move around the little ambulatory ones that move Aww. across tables and stuff, um, <clears throat> which were made with sort of the stuff that there were the, like these sort of toy robot dog things you could get at the time in the sixties that were quite popular. So they they basically put them inside a furry like ball and use that um the ones that breathe they've got a surgical balloon in them and there's someone slowly inflating it from underneath every time that they're breathing oh cute that's cool and then a lot of the other ones are uh made with the inside of them is a bean bag so it's got some <laughs> weight to it so that like it could balance on someone's like shoulder without oh, falling right. off um, yeah. um so yeah lots of them were made with bean bags and then loads of the rest of them were just like you know, random balls of fluff that they just chucked into the shot somewhere because they didn't need to be used or whatever. But, like, yeah, I like the idea that there are, like, specific little, like, they made, like, an, a special mechanical triple when they could have easily just 
it was the sixties. Yeah, they could have just got some thread and then pulled it across the table like they do with everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they put a lot of thought. But this into was it. the this was the period of time where Star Trek had some money, so they weren't used to that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. We're slap bang in the middle of season two here, isn't it? Episode fifteen yeah. of season two. Yeah, um, notably so- higher production values than the beginning or end of TOS, which yes. is the. It, which is where things like the Gorn and Spock's brain appear. <laughs> we get um, we, we get some uh, we classic Spock uh, classic Kirk wearing his green top in this episode, which I you know don't see sexy very often. green top. Well, that's that's because um, we're watching digital remasters. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, that's true. Yeah, like his 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 top is always green. It's just um, <laughs> it's just it didn't it didn't color filter properly on sixties cameras, which is funny. Um, <laughs> I also wanted to say my little props fact, which is it's a bit of a it, it's a maybe apocryphal, um, but when so when the thing opens and they're throwing stuff at Kirk as mm-hmm. it as it falls on him. Um, the stagehands couldn't see, but they also, uh, Shatner had been a bit of an arse to them. So the people in the props department decided to get their revenge by well overfilling that canister. So <laughs> way more of them fell on him. And then the stagehands who were throwing stuff down at him all throughout the rest of that scene just <laughs> didn't like him and couldn't see. So we're just like, well, we best keep throwing. We just best, like, and every time, like, they were called on it and, like, there is a shot where Kirk looks like really annoyed of the shoot, and that's <laughs> him trying to be like, "Oi, <laughs> piss off!" All his annoyance really... is genuine. It's not acting, it, and every time something bounces off his head and makes a squeaky noise, like it's <laughs> William Shatner is like dying a little bit more inside as the production assessments imagine? have the time of their lives, finally covering him in trouble <laughs> that he deserves. Can you imagine if one of them really hated him and he'd like gone to the trouble of like sewing rocks into the inside of them and stuff? God. Like <laughs> that's how William Shatner just died. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know how one. You mean to say this entire grain supply was poisoned? What an, and one of these tribbles even had bricks stone onto the inside of it. <laughs> well, I don't know, is... I got there. Klingon spies, the... Klingon spies. This is my headcanon then for this episode, is that the 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 real William Shatner died on set filming The Trouble with Tribbles because he had a, a rock <laughs> sewn into a tribble fall on his head and kill him. And then they, the... the, the the William Shatner that we know now, is who re- is still alive, is he's a replacement Shatner, <laughs> like 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 Adam Levine same... and Paul McCartney. Yes, in the same way that Paul McCartney died in the seventies, and then they replaced him <laughs> yes. with the Paul McCartney we've got now. That's what's happened with William Shatner, and that's why all of his opinions are rubbish because he's not. Do I do I inhabit a different part of the internet and culture? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> like you, you both said that like that was a normal thing to have said. <laughs> You've never what? heard that Paul McCartney was replaced. No. Right. Paul McCartney died in the 60s or 70s, and then he was replaced with somebody who was the Paul McCartney 9th that of we November, now know. 1966. On the 9th of go. November, 1966, he died in a car crash, and to spare the public from grief, the surviving Beatles replaced him with the winner of a McCartney lookalike context, contest called William Campbell or Billy Shears. And if you listen to Beatles songs, you'll notice all the hidden references proving that, uh, you know, <laughs> their hints and their clues to the fans about the fact that Paul isn't real. Uh, yeah. In fact, if, if, you play, no. if you play Maybe I'm Amazed backwards, it actually says... Uh, 
I I died in 1966. (laughs) This is not me. Save me from this hell. Um, (laughs) Yeah, if you rearrange Kirk's, uh, if you rearrange William Shatner's bisexual cancel cancel culture presentism tweet, it actually says, "I died in the 70s." Uh, yeah right anyway um <laughs> i love triples i i, I just want to say you know this guy serrano jones who's on the station yes. selling the triples right i mm-hmm. can't quite figure out his deal because he's he's a dodgy salesman who sells like shitty things that no one actually really wants but he clearly has yeah. some kind of racket going with the barman where they pretend to no, argue no, about those two those two right i've I, i've unscrambled this for you maddie i, I can solve this They're very shagging. quickly <laughs> yeah, basically, they are they are in a gay relationship with each other. Yes, um, and everything they do is an um, effort to promote their business together. Yes, um, like they, they, but but like you know, that's why like the whole haggling thing was like so worked mm-hmm. out. And it's like, oh, I'll give it to this little lady here, and it's like, and that is. Like normally, they do the haggling thing, and then one of them sells it to to the customer for a markup, and they split the profit. But um, uh, yeah. Serrano Jones, uh, uh, oh no, the barman, sorry, had like done something that had annoyed the uh, Serrano Jones. Oh. So to get back at his boyfriend, he's like, <laughs> "I'm just going to give it to this very pretty lady because you know, I I buy." <laughs> You might be gay, but I've got other options. Like yeah. the triple. Right. I'm bisexual yeah, he... <laughs> like the triple. She's I... her is bisexual because she's in a relationship with Christine Chapel and Spark. So we're <laughs> triples bisexual, I'm bisexual, bisexual allies. I... This is the bisexual agenda. Eating the grain There's supply. A queer, there is there is definitely a queer reading to basically everything that happens in this episode. I, I would agree with you that Serrano Jones is is gay. Apart from, have you seen his coat? <laughs> no self-respecting gay man would be seen in that coat. So, like, you say you know, that, but I'm... I have a very good bisexual friend who who would proudly and happily be seen in that coat basically every day of his life (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) and i'm by and i wear terrible clothes (laughs) it's a great coat is Uh, what we're saying and i might be and i might wear terrible clothes i don't know (laughs) (laughs) Um, i love that he's paired it with a sort of very early noughties off the shoulder red stripy top underneath that's like yes. something that um, that uh, Sarah Jessica Parker would wear in one of the later episodes of Sex in the City. That <laughs> plus then like a military khaki jacket with about twenty different pockets uh, over the top. It's excellent. Anyway, my my thing with him is it's not at the end of the episode. The Klingons say that they didn't have anything to do with Serrano Jones, and the fact that the Tribbles just ate the grain was just sheer luck because they ate the grain that was actually been poisoned mm. all along, but. My thought is, if these Tribbles, he must just have not known what the Tribbles do, because if he knew that they reproduce that quickly, then they're basically worthless. Within less than 10 hours, the price of a Tribble, like the Tribble <laughs> stock market, had absolutely crashed, yeah. because there's yeah. just so they're, many they're goddamn like... Tribbles. So it's not it's not like a valuable business venture. So, like, yeah. Serrano Jones is like canonically... like Germany marks. Yes, <laughs> yes, they're like a Deutschmark, or like, yeah, it's it's... The, he's canonically shit at his, his job. I mean, maybe that just goes with the bisexual territory. He's just like, he's canonically a terrible <laughs> fucking do, salesman. The thing is, though, he does know that they that they uh, 
reproduce that way because he admits it later on so, in the episode. So what was he doing? He was just causing chaos. Again, it's the yeah. chaotic bisexual energy. It all makes sense. <laughs> yeah, he just wants to watch the world burn <laughs> and, then, and then shag the barman while they're watching it. I've got some great lore about him. He, he wants to fiddle while the world burns. He wants to fiddle with tribbles. Well, yeah. <laughs> I've got some great lore about Serrano Jones. So uh, he, uh, he does come back in the TAS episode um, that also f- features triples, which I haven't watched and I'm very excited to watch. But in that episode, he genetically engineers triples for the Klingons, so he goes full <laughs> evil. So even though in this one he was just cha- chaotic and demented the, the, and just going around like a maniac, the Klingons then actually think, you know what, <laughs> we're actually going to use this guy despite the fact that he foiled their plan with all of his triples by accident. And they genetically engineer evil tribbles called glommers uh, and he tries to use them to sabotage planets. So <laughs> Blommers. Bl- Blommers is the most Australian word that you could possibly come up with. I think it's been named by Australian NASA. Um, <laughs> We've got to stop calling it Australian NASA. It's sorry, not sorry. Australian... You're right, it's not called Australian NASA, it's called NASA. Uh, <laughs> NASA? <laughs> it's not, it's called the Australian Space Agency. It's called ASA. <laughs> ASA. <laughs> um... I can we talk about um, the fact that Klingons don't look like Klingons? Oh yeah, so this is back in the days where every Star Trek alien was just a racist caricature. Um, so they're like <laughs> Klingons are humans, but with darker skin because that's bad. They're humans with darker skin and lots of black hair because because black people and brown people are bad. So literally every Klingon in this as, is like a... As a parody song I quite like says, do you remember the day when uh, Klingons were just Puerto Ricans that dressed in gold lamets? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> so literally, they're like men who've put way too much walnut oil on their faces. You know if you've ever gone on like <laughs> like a budget, kind of like like budget three-day trip to like a villa in like in like Benidorm or whatever and then you go to the mm-hmm. pool no, there's at least like 12 middle-aged blokes lying on sun lounges in their speedos whose skin is the exact same colour and has the exact same shiny texture from all of the tanning oil as all of the Klingons in this episode that's what they are I think they were all on holiday in Zanti and just got lost that's the story of Klingons and that's why they're wearing gold lame it's because they were on like a stag do they were all on a night out in Napa they were about to go to like that sex club and watch the lady that goes around having sex on a Segway in the middle of the club and then they got <laughs> and then they got lost and ended up on a space station that's it I've solved I a... it that's what Klingons are <laughs> and, and that's why because that, they're all hung over that's why they can't pronounce the word Klingon properly and they're calling themselves Klingons <laughs> um, and they forget what language they speak because they call it klingon instead of Klingon <laughs> ah well uh, there's a nice little bit of irony uh, retroactive irony in that scene because uh uh, the guy says that and obviously calls the language wrong to James Doohan, who will then go on to develop Klingonese. Mm. He, yeah. he 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 did it for original series and then helped with Search for Spock, making it a a proper language that yeah, can right. now be learned. Oh, um, yeah, that's quite interesting. Um, I have hmm. a, I have a question about the lady who goes around a club. <laughs> I have a question about the lady who has sex on a Segway in a club. Yeah. In um, does. She does she move herself 
or does the man move or does she just back up and the, like does she keep just moving forward <laughs> oh, and backing I, they're, up they're on the segway on and off the penis they're both on the segway at the same time did I black out for a bit <laughs> <laughs> did you not hear this this is a big part no. of the conversation we just had this is like standard in, in Benny as you call it um, so, to, oh, so now, hang on. So they're I both re- so they're both on the same segway, or is the man on a separate segway? They can be on separate segways, but okay, I <laughs> I haven't seen this firsthand. I've only seen this through my friends' Instagram stories when they've been watching the the sec the segway sex show. Um, but sex yeah, way. she just sexway. She 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 rolls around on the segway, and then sometimes they have the man like on the seg on the segway as well. Uh, so. So it's not a man standing there and then and her backing, up, backing the up the segue onto his penis and then moving forward again well, and then well, backing up again. Google. I mean, I'm sure he it could be. I'm like, I'm very confident that it, that could also be the case. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. I, I would like to see that, but on those, um, you know, those hoverboard things that were popular about three years ago. <laughs> like, I would like to see them try and do it like that way when they've got to try and balance as well. <laughs> Yeah. If you, what what other <laughs> what's a strange question to ask? What other forms of personal transport would you like to see? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Power I, I googled it. I googled sex on a Segway, and, <laughs> and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna link the Twitter feed I found, and I and I would like your. Your reactions. Okay. Tatiana and Martin, Sex on a Segway, Star Sex Sex Parody. They've been doing this apparently for 20 years. They're a real couple. Um, Oh, (laughs) for 10 years and three years ago, it occurred to us to do the sex show on a Segway. Um, We immediately noticed that people like it a lot and it's a lot different. So now, not only do they have sex on a Segway, but Tatiana is dressed as Princess Leia and... uh, Martin is Darth <laughs> Martin, and they go around with lightsabers, and then I think they back up into each other and have sex. <laughs> Darth Martin! <laughs> Arise, you shall be known as Darth Martin. <laughs> it's so bad. I also love the fact that in the picture of the venue that it happens in, it's just called The Best the Pub. Best. <laughs> I hope all of our international listeners understand that this is British culture at its most baseline and pure. Specifically, this is yeah, this is pure, unfiltered British culture. Brits abroad having sex on segways, and uh, yeah. Can we? Oh my god, it's not a Segway though. It is one of those little uh... Yeah, sorry, when I say Segway, it's like one of the little ones without the handle. Yeah. Did you just Yeah, it is one of those little um uh the things that yeah. I was just talking about, the hoverboard thing. It makes it easier because then, you know, if the massive Segway handley sort of thing is in the front, you obviously have to do it from behind, right? Unless you stand backwards on the Segway. So it makes more logistical sense for there not to be any handles. I'm just imagine I'm just imagining like this guy, like the the handle thing, and then like they're, they're doing it, but they get a little bit vigorous, and it just smacks the, the lady. <laughs> my favorite part about we'll tweet this picture at some point from the redshirts thing. But my favorite part is when you zoom in on the picture and you can see part of the sign, and it just says, "This is unique in the world." <laughs> <laughs> oh it, yeah no no one was disputing that last it does happen from behind as well there's uh, some stormtroopers getting it on with princess leia 
But like my my favorite Wait, but my like, favorite dis- Mar- Darth Martin is is Darth Martin an actual Like yeah, but like so does this so like I mean, you know, no judgment about whatever you want to do, right? Like Yeah, sure. I don't want to kick shame anyone, if, but like Yeah, I don't want to kick shame anyone. I'm not going to question anyone involved in any form of polyamorous relationship if if that's all good with it. But like Martin is, 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 like, they say, oh, we're a real couple, that's why we feel comfortable doing this show. But then presumably a load of stormtroopers shag his wife. <laughs> so, like, how does that work? Does Darth, Ma- like, Darth Martin then ritually executes... Are they employees the- or are they, like, other partners? <laughs> when the stormtroopers ejaculate, can they never manage to get her on target? Does it always go all over the place? <laughs> I assume that the stormtroopers were also just Darth Martin in one of his other... In one of his other geysers. What, he just keeps coming off stage, getting doing a change of costume, then coming back on again? Yeah. This has to be the first time that we're, wa- we're watching a really good Star Trek episode and not talking about it. Because, like, usually, when it's shit, we will do anything. Like, this is the kind right. of behaviour we're in. I also love the fact that we refuse to talk about the other franchise on this podcast yet. We've just spent about 15 minutes talking about a sex parody version of it. Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> Look, completely... if you can find me, if you can find me Captain Kirk fucking, uh, fucking Spock oh, on a segue, segue yes, then I'll gladly yes, talk yes. about that. Great. I'm Speaking wrong, segues, I'm wrong. Sorry, she does actually... Trek, I guess. She does actually back up into him when they're on separate segways. And my favourite thing on their website is about their Mickey Mouse parody where she's Minnie Mouse and he's Mickey Mouse in a full bodysuit a la Disneyland face character <laughs> or like non-face character. And then on their website it just says it just says uh for Martin in a, it is very difficult because the suit is very uncomfortable and there is no visibility. <laughs> No, wait, hang on. It's like horny Mickey Mouse. When she backs up, does it beep? Is it it like beep, 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 beep? (laughs) Do you think she she has to give him directions? He's like, ho, 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 ho. I can't. How do I get it in? I can't see. Ho, 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 ho. Do you think he does does all... Do you think he does all the voices? Do you think he does the Darth the Darth the Darth Vader <laughs> voice when he's doing Darth Martin? I think he's like heavy breathing, but that's just part. Of it. People think it's part of the act, but it's actually he's just not very fit. <laughs> Arjun, is your podcast explicit? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Look, we're nearly at the end of the episode. Um, we're going to have to. Speaking of segues, let's get back on track. Um, I love this episode right, so we're gonna much. We're going to just have to do like a lightning round of all of our thoughts. Our favorite. So like about this episode. Yeah, so okay. like I'll go, then Maddie go, then Jake go. Uh okay, I really like the visual humor in this episode. It is legitimately like genuinely funny and I think this episode proves that Star Trek has been doing comedy well before the modern day. Maddie, go. I think that this episode is just encapsulates everything that brings me joy and that I love so much about TOS. It's a good plot, it's funny, it's humorous, it's warm-hearted, it's ultimately very soft and nice and it just fills you with warm and fuzzy feelings and it is genuinely hilarious to see Kirk try to order his tea and then when he pulls the tray out of the replicator there's just tribbles all over his dinner (laughs) (laughs) and I Jake go I think that um, I think that the scripting is really tight, and it or it's it's not like a lot of TOS where I think it doesn't really make sense, um, and it just feels like it sort of wraps itself up 
in a deus ex machina way at five minutes before the end uh, like i feel like there's actually a plot to this um and i quite enjoy it and we get some really excellent performances from all of the characters uh all of the actors um and you who play their characters really well and you get really good uh characterization that even if you've never seen any star trek before you could get on board with everyone in this episode i think um also, Serrano Jones is my new favorite character in everything. <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah, it's not like it's not like a good episode to show someone the first time because I think they'll get a very wrong impression. But it's a good like if you're if someone said to you like if someone said to me like, okay, I want to watch TOS because I want to have seen all the essential episodes, because I, I, I like other Star Trek that I've never got into TOS, what episode should I watch? Yeah. Like, I'm prepared to watch five, maybe ten episodes. This would probably make the list, or at least it would be, like, a very strong oh, argument for that yeah. list. yeah, no, I think you'd be completely remiss. If, if someone ever gave you, like, a list of top five TOS episodes and Trouble with Tribbles wasn't on it, it would just be yeah. like, Sorry, what? Just in terms of it, the, it's even apart from its like it, the fact that it stands out as a good episode of TOS. Its cultural importance in terms of the legacy yeah. on the public imagination it's had in the way that people think about Star Trek is really important. I think it, it's like yeah, like if if you want to watch some classic TOS episodes, this should definitely be on your list. Um, it's a it's entirely the opposite. Um, end of the spectrum to, for example, City on the Edge of Forever, which I know we all also agree is an absolutely mm. fantastic Amazing. episode. Yeah. This is nothing like that. Like it could not be more different. But I think, for example, if you had two of those on a on a list of TOS episodes that you'd watch, it'd be two excellent and very different types of TOS Ends. episodes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I really think that. Um... What this proves is that the campiness in TOS was not always an accident. Like, they do it deliberately at times. Like, I think we look, when we look back on TOS, we're like, we remember episodes like The Gorn or Spock's Brain, and we're like, oh, they didn't have money, they couldn't do it very well, things were going wrong, so we got this, like, silly show we love anyway. Whereas sometimes they were silly deliberately, and, like, it, like like Manny said, everyone's playing the exaggerated version of themselves. Even the Klingons in this episode's like, my dear Captain Kirk, my dear Captain Kolok. Like it, yeah. it's so like it's like yes, there is, there is room for that, and Star Trek is can yeah. deliberately do that and stuff. It makes me kind of like sometimes wonder if maybe um, Picard and Discovery are missing that a bit um, at times, like. I mean, uh, well, then I remember Picard's French accent, so Picard definitely is. And just going back to what Maddie was saying about the difference between this and The City on the Edge of Forever, um, but both this and City on the Edge of Forever were nominated for Best Dramatic Presentation at the 1968 Hugo Awards. Um, and City on the Edge of Forever went on to win it, but like the fact that these were both nominated for that same Serrano Jones shows the level of similarity of quality between the two of them, despite the fact that they're very different episodes. Um, now, before we leave, we have the important questions to ask. First of all, <laughs> which like character in agreement on this? Which, which character? Which character is most, is most likely, likely to, to demand to talk to the manager? Serrano, Serrano Jones. Jones. Sure, <laughs> of course. We all, we all knew it. We all knew it. Um, and now we also have Absolutely. our new question that we came up with a couple of weeks ago, the Klim question, which I can't remember. I am the manager, <laughs> and most you will listen to, to me. And if you don't manager. listen to me, I'm yes. going to call my manager, and then you'll have to listen to them. 
Well, there is a character doing that all the way through this. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> Mr. Barris, the administrator, is like, Captain yeah. Kirk, Admiral, wow, no one's taking me seriously. Absolutely. My job is to protect Grain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, then Klim of the episode is Barris, uh, the, the man whose job it is to look after Grain, um, <laughs> which he's got a very big sort of like year 11 prefect vibes who thinks that they're really important because they've been asked to look after the science corridor at break, but really they've got no real, no real jurisdiction. Um, <laughs> that sounds like you've got some personal resentment about trying to get into the science corridor. At no, break I was the Did... science corridor prefect at my you school. Were the science co- oh, Wait, you sorry, were you weren't the science prefect. You were the science corridor. Prefect. Yes, I have a just the corridor. I've got a good story about the science corridor prefect role, which I'll tell just you. I'll tell you next week. If you, so st- stay tuned, listeners. Come back next week if you want a, a fun story about me when I was a science corridor prefect at school. Um, Nathan, were you a prefect? No, I refused. You were uh, fr- you like conscientiously objected. That's really cool. You're like people who like would turn down OBEs. No, yeah, <laughs> it was, I mean, I'm not. There's a long distance. No, no, because I I have enough vanity that I would accept an OBE. But uh, <laughs> like, no, they they tried to get me both as like a school counselor and a prefect, and I refused on the basis that like a. Like, my time was valuable, uh, was, I think, <laughs> the words I used. Um, I was amazing. like, yeah, I don't want to, like, like, what's the benefit? It was like, oh, it'll look good on your CV. And I was like, it won't, though, will it? Like, that's a lie. <laughs> like, that is that is a lie you have just told. I, um, I did it so I, uh... I didn't have to go outside when it was raining at break. I got to stay inside <laughs> the, in the science corridor. The number one. The number one reason that everyone applies to be a hall monitor. I don't know why you got like promoted to prefect just to guard the hall. That's what but prefects yes, were that's at what, my school. That is what. That's why you would want to be a, a hall monitor. Yeah, I actually uh, uh, applied to be house captain and obviously should have been chosen because I'm amazing. <laughs> but then got told by the got told face to face by the headmaster that he wasn't going to let me be house captain because I was, in his words, obstinate, contrarian, and irreverent <laughs> to authority. <laughs> Well, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are words I would use to yeah. describe you, man. Those are also, um, <laughs> not just our words, the words of the listeners of this podcast. <laughs> that, is, that is how the podcast has been described. Um, so I had to be deputy head house captain. Oh, I'm so um, sorry I, for you. What, well, the school, know, the, on the school council one. So I refused to be a school councillor because I didn't want to be. It saw it as a, like, basically a waste of cause time. Because you're, you're not a narc. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. Um, but, like, what then happened after me and my friend caused some trouble? I've, I've told you the story about reading 1984 under the CCTV cameras. <laughs> <laughs> That's like loitering next to a no, a no loitering no, so, sign. Right, right. Quick version of this story. Drinking Pepsi so, out of a cola glass. So, so the, the Academy as it was, and we didn't really like the Academy, because taken, like, there wasn't anything wrong with it in principle, but what they decided you sound to do like was... an indie filmmaker who keeps getting snubbed for the awards. <laughs> no, no. So what they decided to do was reform everything, i.e., change every single rule and aspect of school comprehensively, mm-hmm. which doesn't work as a method of reform because you can't even tell what's working. Um, and one of the things they instituted was a reading like day. So 
30 minutes of the lesson, and this was in our last year, and me and my friend cared to some extent about our grades to the extent that we wanted to get into particular um, six forms. So, like, mm-hmm. it, so we were we were a little bit miffed about them making us read because also we read things, um, and like we were like, no one. No one who doesn't like reading is going to like it by being forced for, to do it for half an hour. And everyone <laughs> that does probably also enjoys school to some extent. So, like, you know, that's a pretty big overlap when you're a teenager, yeah, at least. It's the same um, formula that I tell uh, people about when I'm when they ask if they should listen to this podcast. I'm like, if you, if you don't like Star Trek, you're not going to like this by being forced to listen to it for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, so anyway... Um, we were annoyed, and there were various other policies they were doing, and we realised that um, this. So they had screens with cameras in them in everywhere, all over this new school building. So we decided that as they were going to be promoting it fairly heavily, what we would do is read some choice books um, for for the purpose and try and set ourselves up into such a position because we knew we were going to be in our RE teacher's classroom. And he didn't have a seating plan. He let us sit where we are. So I chose one end of the classroom and he chose another. Because if we were both together, they'd notice. So he chose one end, read 1984 under a camera. Yeah. And I read Franz Kafka's The Trial under, <laughs> under <laughs> a light screen. Uh, but they, they didn't take my picture, but they did take his. And then on the like promotion for all of this, on like the school letter and website, was my friend reading 1984 while a camera watched him and the screen said, uh, reading like like a, a thing, ordering all the students to read. Um, so in, in an effort to control us and get revenge for that stunt, we were put on the school council, which was in theory an elected position. Um, <laughs> Did the so, school council take place in a room with 101 written on the wall by any chance? <laughs> The irony wasn't lost on us, and we would sit and be the most awkward sots at those meetings, um, because we would always turn um, turn up to make sure they had quorum, but then downvote everything yeah. that we found vaguely, like vaguely irritating. And then they just stopped organising council meetings and telling us about. <laughs> Look, we've come to the end of the episode. Um, uh, thank you for listening. I've really enjoyed this one. I hope you have as well. Yeah, I feel like I need to stress that as much as I segued us into talking about segue sex i i it's not because i didn't want to talk about tribbles like this episode is class it is great so yeah, please do go watch super it good. however we are all children yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah go and go and watch this episode uh if anything just uh, because next week we're going to be looking at uh something i'm really excited about that we've been talking about for a while we've teased it a few times we're looking at the star trek ds9 episode trials and tribulations where, where the DS9 crew are, are transported back into the events of the episode that we watched this week. So uh, go ahead, watch that before next week. Watch Trouble with Tribbles as well, if you haven't already seen it, because it's great. Or if you have seen it, because it's great. Um, all that's left to say is uh, give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, whatever. Um, you can contact us on social media at RedShirtsCast on Instagram and Twitter or by email RedShirtsCast at gmail.com. But until next week, live long and prosper, and goodbye. Bye. Bye.